It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor, along with Jed Demusi from Local12. As we preview Bengals and Ravens, week one of the regular season, um, and Jed, I think the, the questions uh, are pretty much still the same. We got some things answered in the preseason. Uh, the offensive line wasn't a complete disaster, but I, I don't think until Sunday we're still going to know how this offensive line is going to operate when, when a real game comes along. No, I don't think we do. I don't think that in the preseason games that they played, I don't think that teams were doing things that teams in the regular season will do in terms of stunts and looks. So I don't think we know how good this offensive line is going to be. I think the narrative is going to be at the start of the season that this team didn't do a good job last year of keeping Andy Dalton on his feet, and they lost two of the more crucial components of that offensive line. So regardless of what happened in the preseason, they're going to be judged on what happens on Sunday going forward. And if it's not Baltimore... It's going to be the Texans in week two on a short week with a defensive front that's probably the best in football. So right out of the gate, week one, week two, this this offensive line is going to be tested. We we saw uh, Trey Hopkins kind of come out of nowhere to, to earn that right guard spot. It, it really uh, Andre Smith never took a hold of it. Never really seemed to um, grasp it uh, for the most part. But you know Trey Hopkins overall looked pretty good in the preseason. But I still think it comes down to what do those two tackles do and. Unfortunately, I think Jake Fisher gets lumped in with Cedric Obwehi when they are two separate guys, two separate positions, two separate uh, uh, senses of ba- sources of baggage, if you will. But but honestly, the one thing I can remember from preseason is I don't remember Cedric Obwehi very much. I don't remember looking and going, uh-oh, Ced's in trouble. That's at least an encouraging first step. That's true. I think what defenses are doing now is sometimes only rushing three guys, but rushing them in a way that they're taking advantage of the weak link on the offensive line. So regardless of Cedric Abwehi and how he's done, I think it's really going to depend on all five of these guys working together so that a defense cannot identify which is the weakest link in this in this offensive line. And sure, there there's going to be one or two, but there was a good article in Sports Illustrated this week about what the Texans are doing up front and how they were able to sort of disrupt Tom Brady in that playoff game a year ago by really only rushing three guys and putting eight back in coverage. So that's sort of a trend that, that maybe you'll see when you have some freaks of nature on the defensive line. Teams are going to take more risks in but, trying to get. But the good part is Baltimore doesn't have those freaks. They have they one guy. They have Terrell Suggs. Well, they have Terrell Suggs, who's been in the league as long as Marvin Lewis has been the head coach of the Bengals. And we heard Marvin this week on Bengals Nation say that he always teases him that that Suggs should have been the first overall pick over Carson Palmer. But they have them. You know, C.J. Mosley obviously is, is another guy who's who's coming along in there. But they have had a lot of of, of pieces overturned in that uh, not only up front but in that secondary as well. They've got two new guys in the secondary, so that defense is. Hopefully trying to be what they've been and just sort of plug and play guys and you have some veterans and you have some some younger guys that have performed and then you bring in some new guys. That's how they've attempted to do it, you know, dating back to when Marvin Lewis was a defensive coordinator. So hopefully they can they can do that again. They always seem to find a way to have a pretty good defense. But against the Bengals at Paul Brown Stadium, they're not very good. 
No, in fact, uh, no matter where they've really played over the last few years, um, the Bengals have, have had their number. And, and really, they've had Joe Flacco's numbers. I, I think in the last seven games, three touchdowns, 12 interceptions, they, they've really pressured him. This is a Joe Flacco that didn't play in the preseason that says he thinks he's ready. But uh, And you would think a veteran quarterback can, can overcome some of that. But I, I think there is something to be said that him missing the preseason – and at the age he's at, with not a lot of weapons around him, the Bengals have a chance to take advantage of that. I think I saw five touchdowns and 12 interceptions in his career at Paul Brown Stadium. He has not performed well here. He is not at 100%. John Harbaugh promised that he would be ready for this game, but one hit, you have a back injury that you're nursing, and it's not really going to take much to, um, to to put him out of the game if if. If he was not able to play at all in the preseason and he plays on Sunday, that doesn't mean that he's not kind of hoping that he doesn't take a big hit because who knows what could happen with that back. Rashad Perriman has never really come to fruition for them. I think they're hoping Jeremy Macklin can provide. He's a start. on. The, he's on the back nine, though. He really is. I mean, he was. Was he ever on the front nine? I mean, he may have played a few holes. I don't think that he has lived up to what a lot of people thought he could be coming into the league. And, and obviously I've never played NFL football, but I do think that if you're picking up a guy like Jeremy Macklin and hoping you can catch lightning in a bottle, that that lightning may be gone. They did, they did, however, get a few years out of Steve Smith when he when he left Carolina. Well, and, and that's, a, I think, a loss for them. I mean, Steve Smith was still making plays last year. They lose Steve Smith, and while you can say you know he's an aging wide receiver, he still was the best they had. He was the best best they had and his competitiveness I think brought something to that locker room that was maybe missing at least in that in that wide receivers room I think Ben Watson is going to start for them at tight end I mean that's a guy who's on the back nine Kenneth Dixon is out for the year at running back they're going to have Terrence West who's serviceable and Danny Woodhead who's more of a obviously a third downish type back but yeah Terrence West is he is the epitome of plotting journeyman I love using that term and and he would be fourth on the Bengals depth chart Without question. I think he'd be fifth if Trey Carson was healthy. <laughs> so, and, and Woodhead is nursing a thigh injury. I mean, the, 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 the Ravens have, I think, seven guys that they've already ruled out for the season. And that one of those guys is Dennis Pitta, who they ended up cutting after he suffered that hip injury. But this is a team who already has a good chunk of players that were, are, that were going to be on their 53-man roster out for the year. And then another handful that are kind of put together with some chicken wire coming into week one. Well, especially that offensive line. I asked John Harbaugh yesterday uh, on Wednesday, if you were listening to this, um, you know, if, if he got a chance to have any cohesion among that, that offensive line group. And he said, no, because we're still plugging and playing guys. Um, and he said, we'll find out how the cohesion is in the opening game. That's not the best time. While the Bengals are trying to find some answers to their offensive line, we at least got a chance to see that group play together for the for you know for whatever period of time the first stringers played played pretty well Baltimore has some real issues up front and it's it's puzzling to me I can understand when you see all of these national prognosticators come out with their picks and they pick the divisions and they look at everything if you don't think the Bengals are going to be that good if you think they're going to go eight and eight or something like that okay you can make an argument that that they may they may do that but I don't see how you can honestly say that the Ravens are that much better. This team, looking I, at I think they're the worst team in the division. I think Baltimore, I think whether uh, Cleveland has a chance to be better, I really do. Well, I mean, they, they cut Calvin Pryor on Wednesday because he got in a fight. Miles Garrett's going to miss the first month and a half. So the Browns are Brownsing before game one of the season. I, I get your point. I just don't know how you can look at this Baltimore team 
and say, this is a playoff team, but the Bengals are not. If you think Baltimore is going to make the playoffs, I would think you would have to think that the Bengals are too because and, – and the Steelers are really at the top of the division according to just about everybody. But I, I don't see how people think that the Ravens and the Bengals right now are – are close, or that the that the Ravens are ahead of the Bengals. Look, the Ravens' front seven is is, is okay, um, and they did add some veteran guys on the back end of the secondary, which they needed to to, to do that, I guess. Um, but offensively, they they there just aren't enough weapons to go around. Justin Tucker might kick fifty field goals this year because they just don't have a lot of offensive. He's the he's the weapon. Get him across the fifty yard line, and maybe you have a chance for him to squat a field goal. But yeah, most accurate kicker I think in in NFL history, but. You know, unless unless you plan on winning every game, fifteen to seven, or you know something like that. But that defense isn't good enough to do that either. Yeah, so he is he is a weapon. We can't discount that. He's he's the best kicker in the game, and and he was phenomenal. What was that? It in Baltimore last year against the the Bengals. He was. I mean, he was absolutely lights out. But he is not going to. He's not going to save this team, in my opinion. Now. Every team coming into week one of the season is hoping that the things, the people that they have put in place, that everything works to a cohesion where they can be a a playoff team. I think some teams have fewer fingers crossed than others. I think Baltimore's got a lot of fingers crossed with the people they brought in and what they're hoping to get out of Danny Woodhead, Jeremy Macklin. That's really a big ask for both of those guys to be big-time contributors, and that's what they're asking them to do. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, flip side, let's talk about the, the Bengals and, and what to do at, at the running back position because I think that's the one that intrigues fans the most. Um, uh, wh- what do you do to give those guys reps, um, or is it simply Joe Mixon is literally what, what Rex Burkhead was when he was a third running back, what any other third running back is? You just don't get your hands on the ball very much, if at all, in a game. I, I don't think that's going to be the case, but I think fans expecting to see a Joe Mixon coming out party Sunday, I just don't see that happening yet. I, th- I think he gets some touches because he's such a weapon and, and so intriguing that you have to let him get some touches, but I just don't, I don't see it being a lot of touches unless something happens to, to the other two running backs. I think the Bengals are going to have to get creative with what they're doing with these running backs to keep them all happy. I don't think you can put Jeremy Hill as a flanker or a slot receiver, but I think you can put the other two there. Well, we saw Mixon, if you remember, he caught a, a screen as a wide receiver, basically, in, in the preseason. And I think maybe that's how you kind of spread the wealth and give teams different looks and, and help Andy Dalton at the line of scrimmage identify what the defense is, is giving him. If he's got more options that are on the line of scrimmage, that, that could be beneficial, especially with John Ross being out for – an indeterminate amount of time. I think if you can get some of those guys that normally would line up in the backfield sort of out in space, I think that is a way, number one, to give defenses a different look, and number two, to keep the peace in this in this running back room and give people the Joe Mixon coming out party that they that they want and that Joe wants. Yeah, I just I, I think it'll be Jeremy Hill will have to fail before they start to do some of that. I think it's Jeremy gets the majority of it. Geo gets mixed in, and you just get a little touch of Joe Mixon just because you just can't let him sit there the whole time. The John Ross one's interesting. He did not practice on Wednesday. He did go limited on Thursday. I'm assuming, uh, if you're listening to this on, on Saturday, the injury report would already be out, that he'll be listed as doubtful, I'm going to guess, and I don't see him playing on Sunday. If he doesn't play Sunday, I don't see him playing on such a quick turnaround on, on Thursday either. I think it will be game number three in Green Bay when he, when he is back. But it is intriguing that he was at least – 
back out there on Thursday doing some things, but I, 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 I don't see him playing Sunday, and I don't see him playing Thursday either. Do you? No, I don't. Um, you hate to see that that end-around play where he supposedly got injured against Indianapolis – you don't see it on film. I mean, you don't see it happening, and and you wonder. Yeah, he said he told us. Yeah, he told us his legs got tangled up with somebody, and and he, just, he didn't feel it right away either. Okay, because because he didn't come out of the game after that play. He stayed in the game, and I, I hadn't had a chance to, to catch up with him to the extent that you have. But you wonder about uh, about his durability going forward, and and if it's a situation where. You know, he knocks knees with someone and, and he's out for two weeks. That's not good. The Bengals are attempting to do what the Patriots have done so well, which is which is get a lot of different looks and provide a lot of different options for defenses to try to cover and then try to take that away. And and maybe not – you've got vertical threats, obviously, with A.J. Green, but you, you're not reliant on that deep ball to win the game. And with John Ross out of this offense – that that concept or that flexibility that you have takes a step backwards that maybe if they're interested in cultivating with the Gio Bernard, with the, with the Joe Mixon out wide to give them some reps to make different looks they can. But John Ross being out is, is certainly hurts because he was supposed to be the guy that made defense scratch their heads. Yeah, and, and you still have a very competent receiving core. I mean, you have A.J. Green, as you mentioned. You have Tyler Eifert coming back and uh, – holding your breath probably every time he takes a shot. Um, Brandon LaFell was solid last year, and Tyler Boyd started to come on. So you still have really good parts in that passing game, but you drafted John Ross for a reason, the reason you talked about. You wanted defenses to be fearful of that guy. Fearful of that guy and just just the fact that he's on the field, regardless of whether or not the ball gets thrown to him, is is a difference maker. That The same thing with Tyler Eifert that we talked about. Just his presence on the field makes defenses take notice as, as to where he is. And when you when you start piling those guys up, when you have an A.J. Green, when you have a Tyler Eifert, when you have a speedster like John Ross, if Tyler Boyd takes a step from his freshman year to his sophomore year in the NFL, once you start piling these guys up and giving Andy Dalton more and more options, especially with an offensive line who may not be able to protect him for as, seven, as, a seven-step drop or a five-step, yeah, but just get the ball out of his hands quickly. Right. The, you know, that's what the Bengals have, have attempted to, to put together, and, and that, is, that growth is, is stopped for the time being with John Ross being out. Let's talk about the loss, the impact on defense, the losses of Adam Jones and, and uh, Vontez Burfecht. Um, we'll start with Burfecht first and foremost. It was interesting talking to Paul Gunther on Monday, the defensive coordinator, um, I asked him, you know, what, what all he was going to try to do there and in the back end. And he said, listen, I said, for our whole team, he said, all the guys that dress on defense on Sunday are going to play. And I think it means he's going to mix and match defensive linemen. I think you're going to see a bunch of different combinations at linebacker, depending on different sets. And I think you'll see see rotations at corner and safety. He even said, uh, you know, I don't think George Iloka is going to be able to play 70 snaps. He didn't play a snap in the preseason. You're not going to probably be able to step right on the field and play an entire game. So I think you will see very much a defense by committee on, on Sunday, which can be kind of fun because I think it keeps everybody energized and, and focused because they know they are going to be playing some snaps. But let's get back to the question at hand, which is the, the, the impact loss of Vontez Perfect, especially the way he looked in, in preseason and training camp and the shape that he was in. There's no question when, when he plays football at, at a high level, when, when he's not getting in trouble on the field, regardless of whether or not you think he should have been suspended or not, he is one of the best linebackers, and he, he will be a loss to this team. But this team has played without him before. This team, th- this is not a defensive unit 
that really just needs to throw their hands up and say, woe is us because we don't have Vontaze Burvick. I mean, you saw Luke Keekley missing extended time last year and how much that meant to Carolina. I think this defense is in a position to get over the fact that they're not going to have Burfecht for, for a few weeks. Yeah, and let's face it. I mean, he's played 26 games over the last three seasons. He played, he missed the first three games last year. Missed the, missed the first six games of the, of the year before, and they went 6-0. and While he is obviously, when he is playing at the level he's playing at right now, he is a difference maker. But it's not like suddenly you got a guy that's played every snap and every game um, over the last three years. You've kind of gotten used to not having him as much as you've had him. And this defense is poised to take the next step in terms of getting to the quarterback. They 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 brought a lot of guys in. There there were guys that that looked good. Smith, Lawson, Willis, two rookies, and and the guy from Jacksonville that they can mix and match on that defensive front. They can have maybe they did that with Michael Johnson as well. And I I think it was Johnson or no, I think it was Smith that got a sack against Washington in that five man front. So there are things that the Bengals can do to sort of eliminate the uh, eliminate not having the type of guy like perfect on the field and while Vinny Ray isn't isn't physically as talented or maybe doesn't have the instincts he 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 knows what he's doing he's yeah. very capable and, and I guess the good part with mixing and matching there is I don't think Vinny Ray as an every down linebacker has the ability to play literally every snap on defense it just doesn't seem to work for him but yeah, Vinny Ray, for whatever number of snaps you need him, with a little Jordan Evans sprinkled in, with that five-man front when you go to the nickel look sprinkled in, and you got choices at nickel linebacker. You can play Ray and Vigil. You can play you can play Kevin Minter a little bit, because you can never play Ray Malaluga as a nickel linebacker. Right. You can play Minter and Vigil. You can play uh, Vigil as one linebacker, and as you mentioned, that five-man front where Lawson's the other linebacker, but he's up on the line of scrimmage, so it's almost a five, five-one-five look. You can play... Um, Jordan Evans and Vin. I mean, you've got a lot of choices there, especially in the league. Where, let's face it, everybody always worries who the starters are on defense and all that. And it, it really is a fallacy because rarely are you in a four-three look. You are in nickel seventy percent of the time. And again, you can say what you want about the Bengals going back. They have put these guys into position. Nick Vigil, hey, this is your time. Mm-hmm. Like, this is this is your time to perform. Vontez Perfect isn't going to play. You had last year. We expect you to take a jump. I mean, this is not the type of situation where they're throwing him to the wolves as a rookie. This is this is year number two for him. How many guys need to step up in the secondary? How many guys need to prove that they can play professional football in that secondary? Drake Kirkpatrick has proved it. Darquez Denard, well, William and, Jackson. And that's going to be my next question is the impact loss of Adam Jones. You're missing him for one game. This game is, is an NFL suspension. I suspect we'll see Darquez Denard out there on the other corner, uh, aside from Drake Kirkpatrick, um, just the vibe you get, just listening and talking to, to coaches. But I do think then when you go to the nickel look, William Jackson will be on the outside, Kirkpatrick will be on the outside, and Denard will move in to, to cover the slot because Jackson, they haven't asked him to do it since camp started. They've always had him on the outside. William Jackson looked really good in preseason, and Darquez Denard, much like Cedric Obwehi, didn't notice him, which, again, is a, is a good thing. It wasn't like, oh, there's Darquez getting beat again. I think you know it is time for a guy like him because he's not – he keeps getting hurt, um, hasn't played many preseason games since he came into the league except for this year. Looks like he's in shape. He's had a good camp, all those things. But it is – they're giving you the chance. Now it's your time. And if, if you are – if Adam Jones has to miss one game – you don't want him missing it against the Steelers. You don't want him missing it against some of the other opponents coming down the pike. The, the offensive personnel for the Ravens doesn't scare me. So the fact that 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 
Adam has to miss this game could be a lot worse if the opponent had some offensive personnel that were better. And we already talked about the, the Ravens and how they're hoping that, that the guys that they're going to throw out there on Sunday can, can be effective. But that's going to be a big ask, as we mentioned. Uh, we have not talked about the kicker decision, the decision to keep the veteran Randy Bullock over, over Jake Elliott. I, I didn't think it was a surprise. I, I was at every training camp practice. Even Marvin Lewis said, you know, we have data that you guys don't even know about. So that tells me there were some other times that we weren't there in OTAs and, and whatnot that they tracked some of that stuff. And even the performance in preseason games. Um, Jake Elliott got out kicked by Randy Bullock. That said, Randy Bullock's been asked to make two pressure kicks since he's come to the Bengals. Last year against the Texans to win it, didn't make it. Well, I wouldn't call a pressure kick in, in preseason game number four, whether a, a preseason game number four kick a pressure kick. It was a chance to give the Bengals a late inside two minutes. His only miss of, of preseason. I think they gave the right guy the job, but I would still be worried on can he handle the big situations in games. And I think a lot of folks were hoping were hoping for some closure to the kicking competition at the end of preseason, and, and they didn't get you, it. You got the worst. Here's the thing: you got the worst possible scenario. You had Elliott missing a potential go ahead. You had Bullock then missing a potential go ahead. And then what would have happened if Elliott makes a sixty yarder? Darren Simmons told us wouldn't have made a difference, but you're going to cut a kid after a sixty yarder. I mean, that was that was a little odd to me. Right. I, I again, I think we talked about this with the offensive line. In, in, in a previous podcast, maybe the last one that we did. Every NFL team would love to have the right guy kicking the ball. Every NFL team would, would love to have that. The Bengals would, everyone. There are very few teams that are going into this season that are happy with, with the way their kicking situation has played out. It looked to be through three preseason games that the Bengals didn't couldn't go wrong. And now it looks like they may not have that they may go through Elliott, they may go through Bullock, they may have another guy. I swear if he misses one that's makeable on Sunday, I am turning Twitter off cuz I can I just know the reaction that's coming. I get it. It's almost like Jake Elliott has now become the backup quarterback, right? You love him. <laughs> you, you you love him because Soon as Randy Bullock met, well, they should have kept Jake Elliott. Well, it, it, it's not quite that easy. I mean, you have to make a choice. And to their credit, look, they, 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 this wasn't like, in fact, Marvin mentioned Saturday. If it had been close, we would have kept the young guy. We would have kept Elliott. In their mind, it wasn't close. And probably, truth be told, what we all saw, well, Randy Bullock won that job, right? Yeah, you could say the Bengals should have kept Elliott. You also could say, man, I wish Elliott would have earned the job. I mean, that's, that's really what it boils down to. That Randy Bullock earned the job. He he's a journeyman. He's been on set. What was he on? Three teams last year. He's been on last year when the Bengals signed him. That w- that became the fifth team in two seasons. I think third team of of that season, but five teams in two years. Yeah. So this we get it. I mean, I think people look at this and say, oh well, why why couldn't they have done this or done that? I mean, you could you could at some point see Mike Nugent back here this year. Who knows how it's going to play out? It's it, the Bengals are not at a place right now where they are happy about their kicker. Randy Bullock, if he if he can kick his way into into comfort, then then people will be happy. But that's going forward. The Bengals attempted to address this issue. They spent a draft pick for the first time in the Marvin Lewis era on a kicker. That kicker did not work out. Kickers don't work out all the time. Look around the league. I don't know what fans, I don't know what, you know, I don't know what the Bengals are supposed to do. They had a competition, and, and Randy Bullock won, and he's the kicker for now. Yeah. All right, uh, Sunday, Bengals-Ravens. You can see it on, on Local 12, kickoff at 1 o'clock at Paul Brown Stadium. Your prediction? Well, the, the other thing that we didn't talk about was A.J. Green, and he has torched 
the Ravens in previous games. I think he had his career high in receiving yards against the Ravens. Two years ago. Two years ago. He didn't play in either game last year because of injuries. So this is a guy who's not only chomping at the bit because he's healthy, but, but this, when he lines up against the, those purple and black uniforms, he, he normally has a game. So I think that taking that in consideration over everything that we've talked about, we didn't mention that, uh, my prediction is going to be, I'm going to say 28 to 10. Bengals. Yeah, I, I think it's a comfortable win. I'll go 27-16 Bengals. I, I, I just, I, I know, I think it was Sal Palantonio of ESPN called the Ravens one of the three best teams in the AFC. I, somebody along those, I think it was him that said that. I, I think they're one of the three worst. I really do. Maybe I'll be proven wrong on Sunday, but I, I'm with you. I think it's a comfortable Bengals win. I think that's maybe just on reputation because they've, they've won a Super Bowl. And they, but it's been a long time yeah. since they've made an impact in this league. I agree. I just I, I'm trying to justify why someone like Sal Palantonio would say they're one of the three best teams in the AFC. There's just there are three teams in the in my opinion in the AFC West that are better than the than the than the uh, than the Ravens, and that doesn't even talk about the Patriots or the Steelers or, or anybody else. I, I just I don't know how um, you you make that comment. All right, I'll be back with you a Sunday night on the Sports Authority to break this all down with Doug Pelfrey. We'll, of course, have all the highlights at Local 12 as well. And you can have all my coverage from pregame analysis to postgame analysis and the game itself at Local12.com. We thank you for being with us on this week's Skinny Podcast. We'll be back next week or a short week as the Bengals get set to take on the Houston Texans after this opening game with Baltimore. Thanks for listening.